Good morning, North Boulevard. I am so happy to see you sitting there in your living room in your Sunday go-to-meeting pajamas. You look so good. And those of you who have gathered here at the campus outside, what a privilege to see you. We have two different locations today, one going on at West at the same time and one here at East. And we wanted those of you who are home to be able to just join us today in the big service that's going on outside. It's just a beautiful day. God's good. And so um, here's our chance to all get together. I can't wait for us to get back. Uh, you know, we don't have to have a building, but I can't wait to get back into it and to see. Uh, boy, I can't wait for all this to be over with. I'm glad you're here. Okay. Sometime in the 1850s, maybe late 40s, a an Ohio farmer by the name of Worthy, his first name was Worthy, an odd name for us, Worthy Taylor, had a lucrative farm somewhere in northern Ohio. And he hired a farmhand one summer by the name of Jim. That's all he ever knew him by. Jim spent the summer taking care of the cattle, uh, hauling the hay, uh, just doing farm work around the, um, the, the large estate. But every night he got to eat dinner with Worthy Taylor's family, and he eventually fell in love with Worthy Taylor's daughter. And he asked Mr. Taylor for, at the end of the summer, for his daughter's hand in marriage. And Mr. Taylor was not a mean guy, but he just said, look, you grew up in a log cabin. Uh, you have no property. You have no money except what I've paid you. And as far as I can tell, you have no career. You're welcome to stay on the farm, but you cannot marry my daughter. By the way, I think the story's true, but I've never seen it corroborated. Jim, brokenhearted, put everything he owned in one bag, a carpet bag, and he left the farm for good. Well, the years went by, the decades went by, Civil War and the Depression and uh, Reconstruction and whatnot. And in the late 1880s, Worthy Taylor decided to restore the barn, rebuild it essentially, and he began to pull down the old barn. And as he did, he saw in the hayloft where Jim used to sleep, that Jim had carved his name. And for the first time, Worthy Taylor knew who it was that had asked for his, hands, his daughter's hand in marriage. For there carved in 1888 across this rafter were the words, James A. Garfield, who was at that time the 20th president of the United States of America. You know, a lot of opportunities come before us and we just don't see them. And sometimes we might get a glimpse of it. We might know there's an opportunity here. But we either don't have the courage or the discipline to follow through on it. I want to say, as we're still in great transition in the US, turbulent times. I'm not really old enough to remember Vietnam, but I can remember my dad's attitude about Vietnam when he would watch the news. It seems to me that we're back in those days of pain and hurt and turmoil and uncertainty and division. I want to make sure you understand this is actually a great opportunity God has given us. That in all of what we see going on around us, including coming out of the pandemic and now moving first into protests and then later into riots, that God is giving us, he's presenting us with an opportunity to do something. This is exactly what Moses teaches in the book of Deuteronomy. So it's the fifth book of the Old Testament. 
maybe one of the most important books of the Bible, for in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is standing on the far side of the River Jordan. All the songs we sing about Jordan, Moses is literally looking across the Jordan at the Promised Land. Forty years the Israelites have wandered in a desert. I've been to this desert, the Sinai Desert. It's terrible. They've wandered there with the scorpions and the cobras. They've depended upon God for every morsel of food they had. They had to strike rocks to find water. Here they stand ready to cross the river, ready for the land of promise. And Moses gives his final sermon. By the way, I'm not setting you up. God willing, this is not my final sermon. But he gives his final sermon to say, okay, 40 years behind us. How do we make those 40 years? And in front of us, the land of promise, what do we say about what God has been up to? And I want to read to you from... Deuteronomy chapter 8, where Moses begins to sum up what God has been up to. Okay, so I'm using a handheld, and it just dawned on me this could be tricky because the wind's blowing my pages. Listen to the word of God. Deuteronomy 8 verse 1. This is Moses' sermon. This is actually a sermon. Deuteronomy is a sermon. It reads like a sermon. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness for 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known, to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during those days. Know then that these, that, excuse me, know then that in your heart, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God is disciplining you. So I said at the beginning of the pandemic, now 14 weeks ago, in a sermon, I said, what do we make about the pandemic? And one of the things I said is that when I look at the biblical uh, records of plagues and pandemics, I could find, I think the number was 102 times that the Bible talks about a plague or a pandemic. And a hundred of those, the Bible says, God sent. You remember I said that? It was a little startling to see that. And one thing that I tried to advise you 14 weeks ago is it may not be a good time to be saying that because when people are hurting, that's not necessarily the best time to uh, tell them all the things they've done wrong. But now that 14 weeks have gone, maybe it is a good time for us to ask the question, God, what were you doing in all of this? What are you doing? And the answer is simple in this text. God has disciplined you, but he has not left you. God has disciplined you. This is what he says in this text. He says, for 40 years I let you wander in the wilderness so that you might be tested as a father disciplines a son. When I think about discipline, I think of two things. First, I think about discipline as punishment, for sometimes discipline is punishment. Daddy raised five children. Four of us were boys. We were all about 15 months apart. As a matter of fact, some of my brothers and I were only like 13 months apart, almost 12 months apart. We were wild, and he had to discipline us. And by the way, I don't regret a single time. He, he, he really should have done more. 
But that's just one way of thinking about discipline. There's another way of thinking about discipline. Discipline can be a very positive thing. Discipline can be strength training. That oftentimes discipline is a matter of cultivating strength. It's God's gymnasium. We've been in God's gymnasium where God has been teaching us how to be strong. And I can't help but think that God is teaching us how to be strong because he has something ahead of us that will require that strength. God has been walking us through his strength training program that one day you're going to face some challenge. And when you do, the fact that you endured, learned to trust him, the fact that you went through this ordeal will have prepared you for what you have next in life. That's the kind of thing God does. God disciplines us. So I want to ask you a question. Can you begin to say right now, these are some of the things I know God has been doing over the last 14 weeks? I really want to encourage you to write it down. Ask yourself the question, why, why did we have those sleepless nights? Why did we have to have the anxiety? For some of us, great fear about what was going to happen. Why did we have to put a stop or a pause or in some cases a boat load of pain right in the middle of our plans? Why? Sit down and ask the question, what could God possibly have been teaching me? You know, I have to ask that about North Boulevard because... I'm a minister here, and I can see all kinds of things that I think God might have been teaching us. I'll tell you this. I've worked for North Boulevard. I've been associated with you guys for almost a quarter of a century. I've never seen the staff closer to one another. It's as though God has taken a pandemic, and he's taught us how to be close with one another. Like, We've loved each other. We get along well. You know, big staffs are notorious for not getting along at churches, but that's not the case at North Boulevard. It's actually been a really sweet time. I don't remember ever seeing our shepherds as just as sweet and united as I see them now. And they've always been good, great men. But the elders now just, there's a sense of closeness. I see it for some of you. And though we don't want to run up and hug each other after this, but I see for a lot of you just a yearning to be back together. That maybe God has said at least this, let me show you what it's like to love on somebody. Maybe for some of you the discipline was, you know, it's time for you to get serious about your family. You've been pursuing everything else. Now I want you to pursue your first priority, which is your family. Maybe for some of you God has just been saying, look, as, uh, uh, as Derek prayed just a minute ago, lean not on your own understanding. Lean on me. Maybe that's all God's trying to say. I want you to be leaning on me. Stand with me. In any case, though God has disciplined us in this text, he says, your shoes never wore out. You never got too tired. I walked with you every step of the way. So as we come through this, Remember that God has disciplined you, but he has not abandoned you. I want to keep reading because the text continues to be very rich. So chapter 8 still and verse 6. Observe the commands of the Lord your God, walking in obedience to him and revering, revering him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. So you have to imagine they're down in the Jordan Valley, which is the lowest point on earth. 
you can look across westward and you see the rise of the mountains of what's called the the central, central mountains of, Jordan, of, of Israel, and they rise up 3,000, 3, 3,500 feet. It's like Gatlinburg. Meanwhile, you're down 1,200 feet below them in the Jordan Valley. And up above, you can see these massive, massive mountains. And Moses is pointing across and saying, let me remind you of where you're going. God is bringing you, he says, into a good land, a land that has brooks and streams, deep springs gushing into the rivers and the hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. A land where bread will not be scarce and you will lack nothing. A land where the rocks are iron and you can dig copper out of the hills. What he's saying is this, God is offering you a better place, but you have to take it. God is offering us a better place. This is the second truth that I wanna point out as we leave this pandemic behind in some sense. I shouldn't say that. For some of you, it probably hurts to hear me say it that way. I don't mean it that way. What I mean is the shelter in place seems to be loosening the pandemic was not 2 million American lives as we were afraid it would be, much less 20 million. As life appears to be moving back a little more to normal, remind yourself of this. God is inviting you to take what you've been through and go to a new place with it. So in some sense, I don't know that we'll ever be the same. And that's not a bad thing. The Israelites needed to be rescued from slavery and Maybe we had some areas that we needed to be rescued from. You know, I can't help but think about the fact, do you all remember this? We actually had what we were calling the New Day Vision. That's right. You may not remember that. We were actually fundraising $4 million to plant churches all across, really across the world, but starting in Africa, to plant two to five churches here in the U.S., and to build that building for our West Campus. We were, we were one week away from giving Sunday when we had to cancel everything. By the way, I just want to assure you, we're going back to that. Like, we're not going to give that up. We'll wait till the right time. But none, because God wants us to make disciples and plant churches, that's not negotiable. Now, how we do it might be, when we do it might be, but whether we do it is not. And what I wonder to myself is, Lord, were you trying to tell us something about this? Were you taking us to a new place? Were you waiting for a new opportunity? Were you going to give us something we couldn't have gotten any other way? Because that's what God says in this text. You're leaving behind scorpions and cobras, and you're coming into a land that has dates and figs. It has copper in the hills. You can dig up your iron. You're coming to a place where there are springs and streams and rivers. You're coming to an amazing place. God has a blessing for us through this pandemic, through the protests, and even in the pain of the riots. God has a blessing for us we could not have gotten any other way. That's what he does. He's promised us that he'll take us to a better place. Okay, can I say this? It sounds just a tad bit negative. I don't mean it to sound as negative, but one thing that I wonder, as churches come back, and uh, North Boulevard is probably a little bit ahead of most churches our size in starting to regather, but most of us ministers are aware of the fact that as we come back together, our numbers may never return. I mean, it's just, I hope not, but it, it may well be the case that where we were averaging 2,000 or 2,100, our average is down by 10, 15, 20, 25% for some time to come. 
That's heartbreaking in one way, but there's a way in which I understand what God might be doing. God might be saying, it's time for American Christians to make up their mind. Either you're with me or you're not. And I wonder if a pandemic is not one of God's ways of doing that. Get on or get off. Either you're with me or you're not with me. But I can't have half-hearted people watering down the faith for everybody else. Maybe that's what God's up to, but it's something he says that on the other side will be better than what we had on the previous side. That has to be true because that's what God does. And if nothing else, Julie and I were talking about something the other night. Julie, I don't even remember what it was. Three, four, five, six days ago. And you said this to me. You said, uh, oh, I was complaining about something. It <laughs> could have been anything. And you said, well, just remember, David, this world was never our home anyway. Maybe God's just putting in our hearts a yearning. Maybe the injustice we've seen in America, maybe the, the vitriol and the anger and the hatred and the violence, maybe all that we've seen is just God's way of saying, hey, this world was never supposed to be your home. You are always supposed to have a yearning in your heart for what I've got coming and never to become too settled here. Maybe that's what God's up to. But he does say, I've got another land for you. You need to take it. And now, let me finish up the text. So here's what he says, wrapping up chapter 8. Deuteronomy 8. So it's a text you ought to read. Because it really does, in a lot of ways, apply to who we are and where we are. When you have eaten and are satisfied. Listen to this. When you've eaten and are satisfied. In other words, now that once you get over this, when we get out of the pandemic, when we get out of all that we're going through, when you've eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when, you, when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through a vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land, with venomous snakes and scorpions, he brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end, it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, my power and strength, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today, you will be destroyed. Like the nations the Lord destroyed before you, so you'll be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. So he ends with a threat, but before the threat is simply this. God gives us reason to celebrate, but we have to celebrate. That's what he says. On the other end of this pandemic, on the other end of all that we're going through right now, there is going to be, he says, a time when all your flocks flourish, a time when you'll have all the water you need, a time where you'll have all the wealth you need. When that time occurs, don't forget, he says, to thank me. So let me put it this way. 
There are two things we need as we come out of this pandemic. First is we need memory. Remember, he says, don't forget, remember. Let me say it like this. Without memory, our lives have no meaning. I really want to, I want to drill down on that second. If you don't have a good memory, your life loses its meaning because memory is the cord that connects your past, your present, and your future. If you can't remember the past, I guarantee you, you have no idea where you're going. Memory is how we, is how we connect with who we really are. That's one reason why monuments are so controversial right now. Because it's not just a piece of granite, it's not just a piece of bronze, it's not just a statue, it's a memory. And the question is, does this memory project us this direction or should a memory project us in that direction? When we remember that it is God who brought us through, when we know it's God who got me through this pandemic, when I wasn't sure God was, when I remember him, I will then have the trust in the next pandemic. I'll know what to do next time because I won't forget who brought me through. As we come through this hard moment, remember who brought us here. He's the one who gave us what we needed. Y'all remember uh, 13, 12 weeks ago? I start, I, believe it or not, I actually started saving newspapers. Wall Street Journal, by the way. Don't, no, don't take this the wrong way. But I saved newspapers on the assumption that we were about to run out of toilet paper and newspapers are going to be really valuable. I, I don't have a subscription to the journal. One of you just brings it back because I like to read it. And so it's like manna from heaven for me. Not only do I get to read interesting articles, but I have a spare supply of toilet paper in the event that we need it. So who is it that supplies us? Even it is God who supplies us with the deep paper we need. When we weren't sure that we would have income, it wasn't Congress or President Trump it was God who gave us what we needed. They were just instruments of God's will. It wasn't just that we were really smart and really clever and really prepared. It was God who set us down at the dinner table. Every time you sit down at a dinner table now, remember who it is that puts food on the table. I mean, just for a little while, didn't you wonder what's going to happen to the food supply? It was God who said, I will keep you fed. So memory is important. And the second thing that's important it's gratitude. It's learning to say thank you. So in the very next chapter, very next book after Deuteronomy, the book of Joshua, as the Israelites cross over the river Jordan, uh, Joshua instructs each tribe to pick up a rock and to stack the rocks up as a memorial. It was a monument. Every time you look at the rocks, you remember God brought us out of bondage and into the land of promise. So let me just say this. Whatever we take out of this pandemic and all that we've been through, I just suggest you erect some sort of monument that says, Lord, thank you for bringing us here. I mean, literally, you can go out and put a rock out. If nothing else, if nothing else, take a roll of toilet paper and set it somewhere prominent, maybe on your fireplace mantle to say, the Lord provides. He brought us through. Here's one. You can take Exodus 15 and verse 2, and I just want you to know that this might be the only sermon in town that connects Exodus 15, 2 and toilet paper. But you might take Exodus 15 and verse 2 and say, that's my memorial. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. Take a memory out of this and hold on to it. Every time you hear that text, remind yourself it is God who brought us through.
the reason I sing to you guys is, is uh, because I wanted you to have something that you could say, oh, I remember. I remember those days. Because one day this is all going to be a distant memory. I just want you to be able to remember those days and say, it was the Lord who brought us here. So I read a story this week of working on the lesson and thinking about memory. It's a story of a conductor who in, lived in Britain. He's still, uh, as I understand it, he's still alive. He was a musician and a conductor, and he had a, a, a virus that attacked his brain. Um, I don't remember the name of it. It's written down, but I haven't looked at notes yet. Let's not look at them. And he lost his memory. In fact, not only his past memory, but he's unable to remember anything. Fortunately, he has a wife who loves him, and she has had to care for him. Now, here's the amazing thing about him. He cannot remember what happened one minute ago, and in the next minute, he'll forget what just happened. So he lives as a prisoner to now. And it's a terrible place to live. He lives in fear. It's a terrible disability. But here's the amazing thing. When she puts him in front of a piano, he will ask, he will ask the question, what's this? Literally has no idea what it is. She'll put his fingers on a piano, and he will play a Beethoven like you've never heard before. If she gives her the conductor's rod or wand, what do they call that, and stands him in front of, of a, an orchestra, he literally can play the finest music in the world. And as soon as he sets it down, completely forget. But here's what happens. The actual memory of the body takes over. The praise of the body. The prayers of the body. The songs of the body. Those monuments we erect can give us what we need going forward. Because we can rest assured that God was with us in our past. That's the message of Deuteronomy 8. Guys, I don't know what's going to happen next week. We're going to talk about it this week. I want you to go online, be watching. I think the decent odds will end up indoors, and we'll see what happens. And one day, it really will all be behind us. But don't forget the message that God has given us. He has disciplined us, but he never left us. He offered us a new place, but we got to take it. And he gives us a reason to celebrate. But we have to choose to celebrate. And that's what we're going to do right now. So I think it's appropriate to stand up, even where you are, if you'd like to. And Sean and the praise team are going to lead us in a song. And let's just celebrate the God who has brought us thus far.